Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 2 of Addicted to Crime. Thanks for coming back. I'm your host, Shelby Nanke. Let's dive in. Before we begin this episode, I just wanted to give you a brief disclaimer. During this episode, there will be mention of sexual assault involving children. Listener discretion is advised. Alright, here we go. We're going to jump into episode 2, the Penn State scandal, the crimes of Jerry Sandusky. This one's going to be a doozy, you guys. I thought I knew about this case, and then I researched it, then I watched documentaries, then I listened to interviews, then I read court documents, and even after all that, I'm still having a hard time wrapping my mind around it. I'm ready to get this horrible case out of my brain. So before we get started, if you have any questions, comments, or case suggestions for me, send them to I'm addicted to crime at gmail.com. That's I am addicted to crime at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Addicted to Crime Podcast or check out our website, addictedtocrime.org. All right, enough stalling, Shelby. Let's go. that that voice you just heard is Jerry Sandusky. This, I think, most likely is going to be our first two-parter. I'm going to start the first part off with um, Jerry Sandusky's early life and career as well as his life immediately after football, and then I'll end with the first accusation from our first victim. This first half is going to be a little lighter, and then the second half is going to be a lot heavier with more details like about the crimes, the court proceedings, how Penn State handled it, etc., etc. So, let's start off with Penn State. Penn State University is one of the largest colleges in the United States. Penn State focuses on teaching, research, and public service. The school has two law schools in its name. There are 19 campuses and five special mission campuses spread all throughout Pennsylvania. So, it is a huge, huge campus. I live in Wisconsin, and I went to a very small private school of about 400 students, give or take, and so researching the just the scale of this school, it, it's been a little crazy. The motto of Penn State is making life better. November 2011, a scandal was created when Sandusky was indicted on 52 counts of child molestation over a span of 15 years. The state of Pennsylvania, the college football league, and honestly the entire world was rocked in a matter of moments with this announcement when it finally surfaced and went public. But everyone was going to find out that there were people who knew about Sandusky long before this announcement went off and they had been keeping it quiet. And so we're going to find out through the course of this episode all of the different players who were vital in keeping Sandusky's horrible acts hidden from the public. Before we go ahead and talk about though, I want to backtrack just a little bit and talk about Sandusky's early life. 
Gerald Arthur Sandusky was born on January 26, 1944 in Washington, Pennsylvania. His parents were Evelyn Mangley and Arthur Sandusky. Now, Arthur was actually a director at a community recreational center, and he even managed the Washington baseball team in 1955. Sandusky Sr. was also indicted into the Pennsylvania Hall of Fame in 1989. So this whole family was focused on sports and academics in Pennsylvania from the beginning. So um, Jerry Sandusky was destined to be involved in sports. Like his father, Jerry Sandusky was super interested in academics and sports. He went to school at Washington High School where he played basketball, baseball, and football. In school, his classmates described him as a loner who never dated, but he was popular and a handsome athlete. When he graduated high school, he enrolled at Penn State, where he graduated in 1966 in physical education. After graduation, he stayed very close to home, and he accepted a job as a graduate assistant coach for Penn State, where he worked under Joe Paterno. And you don't have to be a sports fan to recognize that name as the winningest coach in all of college football history. I'm going to shoot a few dates at you, a few sports stuff at you. For those of you who are not interested in sports, bear with me. It won't be long. In 1967, um, Sandusky was an assistant basketball and track coach at Juanita College. And in 1968, he was the offensive line coach at Boston University. After his time at Boston, he went back to Penn State, where he then accepted the position of assistant coach in 1969. He was a really good coach. He was successful with his team. And like I said, he worked under the winningest coach, Joe Paterno. Joe won 409 football games, which is the most of anyone in college football history. So that's pretty big. During this time, while Jerry was working, in 1966, he married his wife, Dottie, and together they adopted six, yes, six children, and they were also foster parents to other children. And this is heartbreaking, but one of his children, one of his adopted children, Matt, alleged that his father had sexually assaulted him as a child. And so that is just horrible, and it really just gives you an insight to the ugliness that is Jerry Sandusky. In 1999, Jerry left Penn State and retired as a defensive coordinator after 32 seasons with the team. He had special permission, actually, from Penn State after he retired. And that permission was he was allowed to come back to the school and use the facilities like the gym and the locker rooms and the shower rooms. And he was allowed to bring people on the campuses. After his retirement, Sandusky started up a nonprofit organization for underprivileged youth called the Second Mile. Their mission statement read, quote, providing children with help and hope, end quote. The organization estimated that they saw about 100,000 kids annually this is interesting, President Bush called the school, quote, a shining example of charity work, end quote. U.S. Senator Rick Santorum rewarded Jerry Sandusky with an Angels in Adoptions Award in 2002. And we know now that the Second Mile organization that he founded is actually where he met all of his victims, all of his alleged victims. He met them through this organization, so he's a special kind of predator, honestly, just a horrible predator because he's taking advantage of these boys being in a rough spot in their life, taking advantage of them emotionally with giving them a place to stay, with giving them 
jobs to do, which, which allowing them to play sports, this and that. And all the while, he is molesting them and treating them horribly and treating them not how a man should treat a child at all. And it's just it's just horrible because he's 100% taking advantage of them in their state. Kind of like he had sort of a god complex, it's called, where he offered these boys sanctuary and in return they owed him something, which of course they did not. And I don't mean to say that they did. I just mean that maybe in his perverted mind, he felt that he could take anything from them because he had offered them this sanctuary. The first victim to come out publicly against Sherry Sandusky was Aaron Fisher. According to the Daily Mail, Aaron Fisher was 18 years old and a freshman at Central Mountain High School, and he said, quote, victim means that people feel sympathy for you. I don't want that. I would rather be someone who did something good, like a hero or something, end quote. He bravely came forward. He had met Sandusky at this second mile summer camp, and eventually, as sexual predators do, Sandusky started grooming him and making sexual advances towards him, including inappropriate touching, and he did that ever since Aaron was 12 years old. This would continue for about six years, and then it became more aggressive, where Sandusky would even pull Aaron out of school. So, get this. Sandusky volunteered at Aaron's high school, and I just can't even imagine how stressful that must have been for Aaron, a man who he knows is overstepping his bounds as his authoritative figure, and he's abusing him, and he's sexually manipulating him and he, he I just can't imagine the kind of stress that Aaron had to go through and then Sandusky would pull him out of school Aaron told this story once where he was coming out of school and Sandusky pulled up next to him in his car and told him to get in and instead of get in Aaron turned and ran the other way well instead of leaving Aaron alone Sandusky tried to chase him down with his car Aaron then would say how Sandusky would take Aaron to his home, pump him up full of drugs and alcohol, and then he would take him down to his basement where he would sexually assault him. I'm sure Aaron just felt like a fish in a fishbowl whenever he was at school because he couldn't get away from him at school. He couldn't get away from him when he was at his summer camp the second mile. He couldn't get away from Sandusky, period, I'm sure he felt. He just felt trapped. And then he volunteers at your school as a football coach. School's supposed to be a safe place where you're comfortable, and then his predator is there. I, I just feel so bad for him. The second victim, Mike McQuarrie, came forward, and he told of a horrifying event that happened February 9th, 2001. And I want to put another trigger warning here. I'm not going to give a lot of details because, honestly, there's no need to. Um, if you want to look more into it, you can find it anywhere online. But I'm just going to tell you the general story, but warning, it is a mention of a sexual assault involving a child. Mike McQuarrie is working at the school, and he is a grad student. He's only 28 years old, just getting some extra cash. He is locking up inside the Leish football building on Penn State's campus. He goes into one of the locker rooms, and he hears the showers running. He thought, well, that's weird. I'm, you know, I'm locking up. Everyone's supposed to be gone. He opens the door and he is horrified to see Jerry Sandusky sexually assaulting a young boy. And this young boy was about 10 years old. So Mike is standing there. He's frozen. He's horrified. And I'm not blaming him, but instead of speaking out, he backs away slowly, leaves the locker rooms, walks out of the building, walks towards his car. 
he calls his father John and he doesn't call the police and his father John says hey come home like we'll talk about this at home as Mike is traveling home John calls a friend of his Dr. Jonathan Drainoff and he is John's boss Mike's dad's boss you follow me he was his boss as well as a family friend so they were super close to each other he called them to see what they should do now they already didn't call the police they called a family friend and yeah sure you need friend advice right like maybe the friend could be like yeah sure let's call the cops like I'll be with you I'll hold your hand no this wasn't just any friend Dr. Jonathan Drainoff was the president of the Center Medical and Surgical Associates at Penn State and he was a mandated reporter so he needed to report this crime that they're telling him about so back at Mike's house his dad John is there Dr. Jonathan Drainoff is there and they're both questioning Mike they say are you sure of what you saw are you sure that it wasn't consensual which gag at that question it's an old man and a little child but moving on they're asking him all these questions they're like are you sure it was Jerry are you sure it was a child this 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 and that Dr. Jonathan Drainov ends up having Mike go over his story about three times Dr. Drainov suggests that Mike talk to Joe Paterno and then see what he suggests which of course we know Joe Paterno is Sandusky's old boss and I hate 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 how they didn't just call the police immediately but (laughs) you guys are gonna get really heated because this next couple minutes it really heats me up so (laughs) buckle in because I'm getting mad so they call Joe Paterno and Joe Paterno meets with Mike so Mike goes over to his home and actually, interestingly, take a break, in court, Mike testified that he, when he was talking with Paterno that he was kind of vague about what happened, but, quote, out of respect, he didn't divulge a lot of the details, end quote, but he did divulge the most important details, which is that Jerry Sandusky was in the shower with a 10-year-old boy and he was raping him. You know, that's kind of the most important details, arguably, about the whole story. But Mike is telling Paterno this, and instead of calling the police, like, immediately, Paterno actually leaves to go to, pause for effect, an awards ceremony that night. And in my notes, this is all in caps. He left to go to an awards ceremony and didn't divulge to the police that a 10-year-old boy was just assaulted in the campus locker room shower. Yep, you heard me right. I'm just internally screaming because no one seems to care about the little boy. They're just tiptoeing around this because of Jerry's fame and because of the school. It's just disgusting. So so after this awards ceremony, it's the weekend. Paterno comes back on Monday and he calls his athletic director, Tim Curley, to come meet with him and just to kind of talk about what's going on. And also he called the then university vice president, Gary Schultz, to come too. So they all went to Paterno's home where they discussed it at length together. Side note, in his grand jury testimony, Paterno actually says that he was only told that Sandusky was, quote, fondling or doing something of a sexual nature to the victim, end quote. What, what, what? (laughs) Like, (laughs) sorry, but fondling, doing something of a sexual nature to a little boy, not to mention in, in, in your college's locker rooms oh that's all you knew okay okay that's fine that's fine so where are we at now let's recap paterno curly schultz mike mike's dead john they all know of this assault by sandusky the monday after the attack 
these people met with the president of Penn State at the time, and that was Graham Spanier. Like, two weeks later, they met again to talk over the incident instead of reporting it to the police. Curley met with Sandusky and told him, reportedly, to not use Penn State's facilities anymore. I'm slapping myself on the wrist because that's not even a slap on the wrist. That's just like, a, hey, um, yeah, like, you're doing something probably bad. And so, like, whatever, like, you do you, man, but um, don't do it at our campuses anymore. Um... Yeah, just don't do our campuses anymore. Like, I love you, man. I love you, man. So that happened, and that's gross. One thing to note, and this really saddens me because people be better. There are just so many people who think that the blame for this event, in addition to being on Sandusky's shoulders where the blame totally belongs, they think that the blame should be on McQuarrie's shoulders and that it isn't uh, Paterno's fault. Some people say that, why didn't McQuarrie say anything? Like, why is Paterno getting punished, et cetera, et cetera? Because eventually, down the line, Paterno actually gets fired. And here's the thing. I get where you're coming from, but if you're one of the people that believe this way, you have to remember that Sandusky was a family friend of a lot of these people. He was McQuarrie's coach. He was McQuarrie's idol. Like, he had looked up to this man at one point. So people say, why is Paterno getting fired? Why isn't Pater- McQuarrie getting fired for failing to act? Yes, in that moment, he should have yelled. He should have screamed. He should have run at Sandusky and pulled him off this little boy. He should have called 911. He should have done a whole lot of things, but it isn't his fault. When the news finally got to Paterno about what Sandusky had done, Paterno never even confronted Sandusky. Not once. A guy he had worked with for years and years, a family friend. 28-year-old Mike McQuarrie had that opportunity to save that little boy. Yes, he did. But due to shock, panic, and horror, he didn't act. He's looking at his father figure, former coach, sports idol, harming, cruelly harming this kid, and he did not act. Yes, and for that, he is at fault. But Paterno had the responsibility to take that next step to protect other children. Paterno had the obligation and just good human nature that says you need to protect children from a predator. I'm sorry, Paterno, but even if he is your friend, even if you had known him for many years, it doesn't matter. Paterno was a mandated reporter and he was one of the most powerful men on campus in the entire entire state of Pennsylvania. In my opinion, and this is just my opinion, I know Paterno has since passed and rest in peace, but in my opinion, the blame lands squarely on Sandusky's shoulders, right? To be sure. To be sure. He's a horrible human being. Gross. But also, the adults that were responsible for the well-being of the students, that's paternal, that's Curly, that's Schultz, that's Dr. Drainoff, and later, that's the president, President Spanier. They failed. They failed by not reporting to police what had happened. They failed by not even confronting Sandusky, and even when... Uh, Curly did, they still allowed him on campus. He just wasn't allowed to bring any children on campus. Sandusky was a serial rapist, and when they found out about it, Paterno became an enabler. That's what I believe. I believed that those who had sworn to protect and help children failed. They failed. There were many parades, rallies, protests, damages to vehicles. There were speeches that came out about 
this decision to fire longtime coach Joe Paterno or Joe Poe, as he was called. And I understand it was a blow to students. I understand he was a football legend. But in this area, he failed. He just failed. I was watching an ESPN discussion about this case on YouTube. And as I'm scrolling through the comments because I always do that. I'm scrolling through the comments. I read a comment which said exactly how I feel so perfectly that I'm going to read it to you guys. It's from Tom Shinnock, and it was posted on 2019, so it was a little bit ago. And it says, quote, In football, Joe Paterno taught his running backs what to do. Give extra effort and don't fumble the ball. To his linemen, he would preach, Be fearless and determined against all odds, and you're protecting the next guy. And his quarterback would have to be clear-thinking and make right decisions under pressure, otherwise all could be lost. He was great at it. It was a game. When it came to be real life, Joe Paterno failed, and there's no other way to look at it. And unfortunately, many others followed in his lead. Claps to you, Tom Shinnock, because if that's how you pronounce your name, I'm sorry. But that is exactly how I feel. That is exactly what happened. And, it, and it's really sad. So we're at the trial now, and both Curly and Schultz both denied having been told about the rape. They denied that they were ever told by McQueary and that there had been an assault. They just said, quote, horsing around. McQueary didn't say anything about assault, just horsing around. The former president, Spanier, also testified that he never knew a sexual assault had occurred. He only heard about Sandusky and the child, quote, horsing around in the shower, end quote. Which, number one, let's break this down again, shall we? You're responsible as a president, as a decent human being, whatever, for the welfare of the entire campus. You're literally the president, and your job is supposed to be dedicated to the students, quote, making life better, end quote. Remember that, president of Penn State? Remember that motto of your school? You're an adult man, and you think it's okay for another adult grown man, not even to mention a former employee of yours, to be in your locker room shower naked with a 10-year-old boy, quote, horsing around, and you don't say anything? So even if you want to say you didn't know about the sexual assault, it's okay, oh, it's okay, they were just naked in the shower together horsing around, that's fine. That's disgusting, and I can't say anything, but but be better. I'm sorry, I'm getting worked up, but this just infuriates me. It's, it's, it infuriates me. So I know I jumped a little bit into the trial and then I went on this tangent because I was so mad at these people. I'm sorry, but let's go back. After these people told Sandusky, you know, don't bring any children to the campus, like tisk tisk Sandusky, come on, man, you know better. After they did that, they reported what happened to the friggin' CEO of Second Mile and Sandusky's boss, who is, in fact, another mandated reporter, Jack Rakelbitz. Now, Rakelvitz then reported the incident to two born board members of Second Mile who, get this, they said, Sandusky, dude, wear shorts in the shower with the boys in the future next time. <laughs> so Penn State bans him from being bringing boys into the campus, which is literally the bare minimum and the softest slap on the wrist ever, but okay. While the Second Mile organization literally kissed Sandusky's boots and Sandusky was still allowed to operate an all-boys summer camp where he would have daily access to children in fourth grade to high school, it was just the perfect position for this sexual predator to be in and nobody was stopping him. 
And there were many victims that would come out later saying that Sandusky would shower with them, put put his hands on them, and do all kinds of gross, disgusting things to them. So he was fully taking advantage of people not keeping him in check, not keeping this sexual predator away from children. So we finally get to the serial rape of Sandusky's trial. Finally. But at this time, he was suffering from dementia, and he was in a nursing home. I think this story is just the perfect example of sweeping things under the rug for the rich and famous. Boys were coming forward left and right at the time of the trial with allegations aimed at Sandusky. And Sandusky had been allowed to get away with it for years. And at least 20 of the assaults were alleged to have happened actually at Penn State when Sandusky was still an employee there. It's finally here. November 4th, 2011, the state attorney general, Linda L. Kelly, indicted Sandusky on 40 counts of sex crimes against young boys after a three-year investigation. Sandusky was finally arrested on November 5th, and he was charged with, hang on, it's a lot, seven counts of involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, eight counts of corruption of minors, eight counts of endangering the welfare of a child, seven counts of indecent assault among many many other offenses and get this (laughs) this is the kicker after years of allegedly knowing of sandusky's quote-unquote horseplay horsing around whatever you want to call it with the young boys november 6th 2011 penn state finally banned sandusky from their campuses isn't that just special I want to mention real quick, I didn't want to name any of the other victims in this case directly because as I was reading in the court transcripts, they were released um, without the names being redacted and that went against the victim's wishes. And of course, they were very displeased by that. So I'm going to be admitting all of the other victims' names uh, who chose to remain anonymous just out of respect. So... Sandusky gets out on bail, and while he's out on bail, he has a phone interview, one of the only interviews while he's out, and this is with Bob Costas on NBC, and I wanted to share this recording with you now. Are you sexually attracted to young boys, to underage boys? Am I sexually attracted to underage boys? Sexually attracted, you know, I, I enjoy young people. During their own trials, Schultz and Curley were charged with perjury and failure to report suspected child abuse because that's their job. Spanier, the then president of Penn State, in an interview, he seemed to show support for Schultz and Curley, and he didn't have any words of support for Sandusky's victims, so that's, that's just gross in my opinion. And thankfully, basically the whole world thought that was gross as well because his whole interview was heavily scrutinized online. The whole trial lasted eight days, and Jerry Sandusky was finally convicted on 45 counts of child sexual abuse on June 22, 2012, and he was sentenced to a minimum of 30 years and a maximum of 60 years, which for his age is basically a death sentence. It's good riddance. He deserves it. He's pedophile and he's harmed so many people in his lifetime even his own children towards the end of the trial matthew sandusky one of jerry's sandusky's adopted children came forward with allegations that he was abused as a young boy by his adopted father from touching during the night showering with him matt bravely spoke out about the trauma that he endured at his evil father's hands 
as I was researching this case, I kept thinking that, you know, there are probably so many victims that we don't know about who either came forward anonymously or just didn't want to come forward, understandably. And it got me thinking how much sway and power Jerry Sandusky had over people. Parents didn't fear their kids being around him because he was an older man, he was famous, and he was a people person. He was Jerry Sandusky. Why should they worry about their kids being around him? One podcast that I was listening to while I was trying to get info about the case, Real Crime Profile, two hosts, Jim and Lisa, they had a really interesting debate going on in their episode about this case. The danger of warning your kids to look out for predators. And it was about, like, what does a predator look like? Jerry Sandusky doesn't look like a predator, at least to some some of his close friends and family and to people on the outside. The host of the Real Crime Profile on this episode I listened to said that we shouldn't even call him a predator. We should call him, quote, a nice guy, acquaintance, offender, end quote. Now, Sandusky wasn't the boogeyman. He was the wolf in sheep's clothing. And if you're a parent, let this be a lesson to us. And I'm a parent too, so I'm preaching to the choir here. Let's ask questions. Why does this person want to spend so much time with my kid? Why are they always asking to spend time alone with my kid? We need to protect our children from the boogeyman and from the nice guy. And we need to be our kid's biggest protector. And that's what I gleaned anyways from this case that we just truly never know someone. And you have to take care of your children because there are horrible humans out there. So yeah, I am so glad to be able to step away from this case. That was intense. I'm so thankful for all of those young men, those heroes that testified and came forward with their story. And I'm praying for their individual physical and mental healing during all this. I can't imagine. That was a rough case, Uh, but it was a case that I believe is important for us to keep in our minds and we can't let this story die. And to all of Sandusky's victims who came forward and to the many others who haven't yet and are living with this, you guys are heroes. Stay strong. Don't forget to enter our giveaway. Step one, you got to subscribe to me on iTunes, Addicted to Crime Podcast. Leave a iTunes review. That's step two. Step three, send me an email at I'm I am addicted to crime at gmail.com. That's I'm addicted to crime at gmail.com. So I can see that you entered. And once you do that, you're going to be entered to win a free sweatshirt from me and I will send to you and I'm going to pick two people. So this is super exciting. Don't forget to do that if you want to be entered. I'm excited. Be excited. This is going to be fun. And just like that, we're kicking off this podcast. Um, Please, if you are interested in sending me any case suggestions that you want me to cover, email me at imaddictedtocrime at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Addicted to Crime Podcast. And check out our website, addictedtocrime.org. Thanks again. I'll see you guys.